Welcome to the Big Bass Podcast, the fishing show where size matters. My name is Ken Duke. And I'm Terry Battisti. Our producer and engineer is Nathan Benson. Before we kick off this episode of the Big Bass Podcast, we need a favor. If you're coming back to the show because you enjoyed the previous episodes, please click the subscribe button now. It'll help us grow the show and allow us to continue bringing you stories of the world's biggest and most interesting bass. And if you're checking us out for the first time and like what you hear, subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified each time a new episode posts. We do a new show each week, and we really need your support. We also hope that you'll check out the website, thebigbasspodcast.com. There you'll be able to find all of our shows, special bonus material, our exclusive Big Bass Podcast calculator, and lists of all state and world record bass. A big thank you to our friends at Bass Talk Live, Stray Cast, Big Bass Dreams, the Bass University, the Bateman TV, and Ike Live. We really appreciate the plugs, the support, and the encouragement from all you folks. Also, thank you to Andrew Hayes at Tackle Talk Bass Fishing Podcast. Andrew was kind enough to take time during his terrific show on bass and bass gear to give us a plug, and we really appreciate that. He also said we talk kind of slow. Unfortunately, Andrew, this is as fast as our brains will work. Hey, I hope our paths will cross soon, maybe at Red Crest, the Bassmaster Classic, or iCast. We look forward to meeting you. Yep. So let's get this started, Ken. What are we Absolutely, talking Terry. about? You know, I think everybody watching and listening to the Big Bass Podcast has, has dreamed of catching a world record bass. Uh, we can go ahead and admit it. We're among friends here. And while most of our world record dreams probably re revolve around the accomplishment, the satisfaction, the glory, and the fame that such a catch would bring, eventually we consider the money that might come with it. Yeah, it, it, forever, uh, people have thrown around a number, and that number is a seven-figure number, $1 million. Uh, I remember, you know, when Zimmerly caught the fish back in 73, you know, uh, oh, you know, the person that catches the world record fish is going to be an instant millionaire. And, of course, it, it really it never happened uh, up, up until 2009 when Corita caught it. But we'll get into that later. Uh, but, I mean, a million bucks, Ken, do you think somebody is going to be, you know, written a check out for a million or, you know, 10 checks for a hundred grand? I mean, is that too high these days? Is it too low? Uh, I, Terry, here, you know, here at the Big Bass Podcast, opinions. here at the Big Bass Podcast, Terry, we have all the answers, all of them. And, and, and there's no <laughs> exception here. Uh, yeah. I guarantee you're 100% <laughs> correct with this answer. You know, if you're asking, is it worth a million bucks? The answer is... It depends. It depends. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and everything that, that, that plays into it is, is a factor in how much, A, the person is going to get paid if they get paid anything. And, and that's what we're going to go into today is, you know, how do you do this the right way to, to maximize, you know, your, your, your bankroll? Um, but I honestly think that the world record today is worth way less than it was in the 70s or the 80s, or even the 2000s, early 2000s, way less. I'm, I don't know if I agree with you, maybe in the 70s, but uh, I think it's certainly worth a lot less than it was 20 years ago. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about all those factors that are going to go a long way toward determining what this fish yeah. is worth. First yeah. of all, the thing we want to learn, or, or we want to realize, actually, is that when it comes to the bass species, they are not created equal. Um, no. You know, there's the large mouth, the small mouth, the spot, and those are the big three. And nope. uh, forget about the other nobody, species. Nobody cares about a Guadalupe bass. <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody. I mean, we care because it's it can be a good story. It can be fun to learn yeah. about it and know about it. But as far as making any money on a world record fish, uh, unless you're a largemouth, smallmouth, or spot, there's no money yeah. to be made. Uh, in fact, it's a pretty good argument that the only bass species that's worth money as a world record that we can really cash in on would be the largemouth. Well, it's been proven. I mean, it's been proven. I mean, we've broken the spot record a number of times. And, you know, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, but, I mean, it's been broken, I don't know, a dozen or more times since it was first 75 broken times Paris. in the last two years. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's 75? It's like <laughs> well, yeah. I'm making that up. But, but since the 80s, uh, when the Giants started showing up at Lake Paris, that record has been broken yeah. multiple times. And I don't think anybody's ever really... Uh, made back the money it cost them to file the world record application. 
So no. yeah, that's no, uh, not a lot, not a way to make a lot of money. And mm-hmm. when we talk about records, we're talking about two organizations primarily. We're talking about the International Game Fish Association or IGFA, and we're talking yeah. about the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame and Museum. And mm-hmm. and they both keep a multitude of different record types, Terry. Um, yeah. We got line class records. We got records for kids, juniors. We got women's records. We got catch yep. and release records that are that go by length. We got fly fishing records, and none of yep. them are worth a dime in the marketplace. None of those are worth anything, folks. The only record that's yep. worth anything is going to be that all tackle world yep. record. That is the only category that matters. Yeah, whether it's caught on two pound test or twenty pound test or eighty pound braid, it doesn't matter. It's the one that's going to eclipse Karita's fish now, right? Yeah, and it's and we're going to talk about that in a little more detail. But yeah, there's uh, when you look at the two record keeping organizations, IGFA and the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, uh, in the largemouth bass category, IGFA has a tie. George yeah. Perry at twenty two pounds four ounces from nineteen thirty two in Georgia, and Manabu Karita mm-hmm. at twenty two pounds. A shade under five ounces. And the reason that Karita's yeah. 22.5 is considered a tie with Perry's 22.4 is because IGFA requires you to break that world record by more than two ounces for a fish weighing two, less than 2.5 pounds. 2.5 ounces to be exact, right? So I, I thought it was two, but it, you got to break it by, by a, a, a meaningful margin. <laughs> And uh, I thought at the time it was two ounces, but let's see. Karita's fish is bigger. Uh, According to the scales, it's bigger, but that's not the way IGFA sees it. The Freshwater Fishing Mm -hmm. Hall of Fame and Museum in in Hayward, Wisconsin, only recognizes the Perry fish as the world record. Uh, We're not even going to talk about smallmouth, spots, uh, that stuff, because that's not where where you're going to be able to cash in. There might be a few little endorsements and things like that, but we're not talking about anything key. Now, no. when you talk about these record-keeping organizations, if you have your eyes set on a record, there are a couple of basic rules that would be easy to fall astray of, but we don't want you to blow it with these simple yep. problems. And Terry, let's talk about a couple of those. Yeah. So like with IGFA, for example, you, you can't let anybody touch the rod uh, or reel. It, whatever you're holding and fighting that fish with, that is yours. Keep everybody away from it. Um you need to have a, a proper license, uh, obey the rules of the state, whether you're from that state or not from that state, especially if you're not from that state, like you're going to California, you know, from somewhere else, you need to understand the California Department of Fish and Game laws and, and regulations, uh, because that's an easy way to screw things up real, real quick. Um, and, and, and then you have problems like with the IGFA, you know, they have uh certain rules themselves you know versus like public versus private waters uh you know their state laws and and, and they were uh, they are going to require you to follow all the state laws and regulations uh a fish caught in violation of any of those laws is going to prevent you from you know obtaining that that world record fish uh your leader cannot yeah. uh, go ahead I was going to say quirky stuff too that you might not think about. Like at IGFA, yeah. your leader cannot exceed ten feet in length, and you can't yeah. use an Alabama rig unless only one of the baits on the Alabama rig has a hook. If you have a bait, if you have, if you're throwing some contraption that has uh, more than one hook in a lure, uh, it's going to disqualify you. There's all kinds of quirky stuff you got to watch out for. Well, but um, what if you've and, got and an Alabama rig tricky. with? What if you have an Alabama rig with a jerk bait on it? I mean, that's got three hooks on it, right? For the most part, but they're all in one. They're all in one bait, so you're okay. Yeah, okay. So you're yeah, okay. I mean, it's just. Um, but yeah, there's there's all kinds of tricky things, and and you want to be familiar with those things. But now let's let's yeah. get to the nitty gritty, Terry. Let's get to the nitty gritty because if this fish is really worth a million dollars or anything close to that, uh, yeah. the guy who catches it is going to have to be. He's got to make all the right moves. Especially in 2023, as we record yep. this episode, you got to make yeah. all the right moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, and I you, think you the number one up. thing, I think the number one thing that would really help you capitalize here is to, if, if humanly possible, keep that fish alive. Oh, hell yeah. It's worth way more alive than it is worth dead. Uh, I mean, just imagine J- Johnny Morris, for example, would love 
to to probably buy that fish and and put it in the Wonders of Wildlife Museum in Springfield. I mean, he had uh, uh, the fish from Texas, right? Yeah, Ethel. I mean, yeah, Ethel. Ethel. He had Ethel from Texas forever. Um, yeah, I mean, just imagine how much money that fish made Johnny Morris. So keep it alive, folks. Yeah, and and if you don't get a good offer from from a, somebody like Johnny Morris at Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, maybe BASS wants the fish, maybe Major League Fishing mm-hmm. wants the fish, maybe a private hatchery wants the yeah. fish. Because imagine imagine the opportunity to sell uh, the progeny of the world record largemouth bass. That would be big bucks there. You could also potentially yeah. go on tour with a fish or even send the fish on tour. So yeah. keep that fish alive. Another way you can make money, Terry, is and Manabu Kurita. Uh, try to do this. And I think maybe Dave Zimmerly uh, try to do this too. And that is sell uh, limited edition replicas of the bass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Zimmerly, I think Brown told me, Jim Brown uh, from San Diego parks told me that there were 14 replicas made of the Zimmerly fish and Zimmerly got a cut of every single one of those replicas that was ever made. Um and I don't know, they, they were probably four or 500 bucks, you know, per. And uh, I mean, heck, I'd like to have one of those. Absolutely. I would too. Just sign me up for yeah. that. 14. That makes them extra, extra valuable, extra special. Um, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that uh, I think probably things are going to happen awfully fast when you hook into that world record and catch that fish. Whoever catches that fish is going to be in a whirlwind of, of activity at that point. Um, and one of the mistakes they're likely to make is they're probably going to be answering too many questions from too many, from too many people asking them and, and telling their story uh, perhaps too quickly uh, to too many different outlets. And one of the things you got to do, I think, Terry, is you've got you've to control your story because ultimately, other than the fish yeah. itself, your, your story is the most valuable asset you have here. Well, yeah, because everybody's going to want to know how you caught the world record fish. What did you catch it on? What rod was it caught on? What line was it caught on? What bait was it caught on? Um, yeah, I mean, every single attribute of the way that you caught that fish is, is possibly a way to make money. Uh, and, you know, if you're not a, a shrewd businessman, uh, you could screw yourself out of, you know, being a hero. Or Tens zero. or even hundreds of, yeah. Tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah. I guarantee you, anytime you've ever seen a, a story in an outdoor magazine about a, a world record deer or, or a world record fish of some kind, 99 mm-hmm. times out of 100, uh, that publication paid for the rights to that story. And they paid for it for a couple of reasons. One, they want the absolute cooperation of the angler. But two, they want an exclusive. They don't want to have to share that story with anybody else. And, and that's where you're going to make a, a chunk of money. Um, I can tell you that, uh, that when Manabu Kurita caught his world record in Japan in 2009, the photos that Bassmaster Magazine ran in, in, in Bassmaster and Bass Times, they paid for those photos. Uh, Manabu Kurita made money on that deal. Or Dottie, for, for example. I mean... Mike Long caught it. It was, I mean, Dottie was in Bassmaster how many different times? At least three. Uh, yeah, multiple right? times. At least three different times. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you and know, go ahead. There's, there, there's a, I think probably the greatest lawyer in American history of the 20th century was a guy named Edward Bennett Williams. He represented all the big cases back in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, he was a criminal defense lawyer much of the time. And he had a great line that really applies to whoever catches this world record. He said, nothing is often the best thing to do and always a brilliant thing to say. Yeah. And and that applies to catching a world record because control your message and you're you're the one in power. You're the one who's in the driver's seat on that deal. And, and yeah. if you want to maximize the value, don't give anything away. But, but let me throw this out there. If you say nothing, are people then going to think conspiracy theory? Or are they going to think you're lying? Uh, are they going to think that you're not being truthful? Uh, you know, there, there's a, a fine line, I think, that you have to, to walk uh, going down that way. I mean, if you just well, slam, the, slam the truck door and say, I'm not talking to anybody, uh, I mean, what happens at that point? 
I think the savvy guy is not going to say anything to anybody until he gets paid. And I'm not trying to be, well, I am trying to be mercenary about it, but uh, people are going to say all kinds of horrible things about you, no matter what you do. It doesn't matter. You could be no. the Pope. You could yeah. be, you could be anybody, the most, the most responsible, reliable person on the planet by all accounts. And you're still going to be called a liar and a cheat and a dirty, rotten scoundrel because you caught a giant fish and the people saying the bad things about you didn't catch the fish. So no matter what you do, you are going to be pilloried. Um, <coughs> that's what's going to happen. Get ready for it, but don't give stuff away. Uh, we're going to talk about how you can protect yourself from a lot of these naysayers in just a minute. But, you know, one of the things that I think is valuable here, at least to consider Terry is uh, creating the right partners in telling your story. One way to control your story is to, Identify a particular writer you're going to work with, a videographer you're going to work with, maybe a biologist who's going to help you keep that fish alive. Uh, and you may even need a publicist and a social media expert. Yeah, but, but all that stuff costs money, eh, right? I mean, they'll they, all do it on a contingency basis. They'll all do it on yeah, a contingency. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, for example, you know, Dave Zimmerly, you know, he sold his rights to, uh, to pictures of the fish and in certain parts of the story of the fish, I believe, uh, to a writer from Western Outdoor News called Chuck Garrison. So any photo that was ever taken of that fish was taken by Chuck Garrison. And when Zimmerly was asked by Bassmaster or Western Outdoors or Western Outdoor News or Field and Stream, uh, and he sold the picture to them, Chuck got a, a bit of that. And, you know, you, you, you got to do it the right way. Maybe the first thing to do is call Ken Duke and, and uh, hire him as your fish lawyer. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, call me before you catch the fish. I'd like to take a shot <laughs> yeah. at it. Uh, but, you know, I think I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Zimmerly had a good deal with Chuck Garrison. I don't know exactly what their deal was. But I will say that if you're if you're only working with one photographer on this fish, at least you're in control of the photographs and at least yeah. you're in control of, of the cost of those photographs. You're in control of who's getting what percentage on those photographs. So that's, that's really, I think very important. Um, yeah. Let's change gears. This is where some of the, the truly biggest money is going to come in Terry. And that is with fishing with what I like to call the right stuff. Obviously first you have to catch the fish but yeah. then you start getting into the gear, and that's where some real money is going to be made. Yeah, I mean, you have to catch it on the, the – A, you have to catch it in the right place, okay? B, you have to catch it on the right rods, reels, line, the whole nine yards. You know, unfortunately, uh, most of the time, people aren't thinking that they're going to get the world record. They're thinking that they're just fishing for a big fish. And – I mean, a fish like that has come what twice in the last ninety years. So how do you how do you prepare for that? Well, we don't know how many people might have actually hooked into a potential world record fish and lost it. But yeah, it's well. I think there's a few things. You know, a lot of people might think, "Oh, I want to I want to catch the fish on on a bait that my buddy makes in his garage," because then I'll I'll send him skyrocketing uh, to massive profits. Well, no, you're yeah. probably not. Because as soon as people catch wind of what the bait looked like or, or what the bait they're did, gonna knock it off. then they're going to knock it off. And and I assure you that the big companies yeah. out there that are already in production are going to beat you to the marketplace. And they're going to make yep. that bait cheaper. They're going to distribute it better. And they're going to advertise it more heavily. So yep. it's, it's really tough to do that. So if it is a bait of, of your own design, then I think the angler's best bet to cash in is to sell that bait to a major manufacturer so they can get it out there quickly and with a lot of marketing dollars behind it. Yeah. And, um, and, I used and to when, say to people. I was going to say, and, and get yourself a lawyer because you're not going to go in as John Q. Fisherman or Fisherwoman uh, into a, a, a meeting with a bunch of bean counters and a major tackle corporations lawyer and sign a good deal. You're not going to do it. You're going to need somebody can Duke uh, to go in there with you that understands <laughs> the 
that understands this business, this this industry, so you get your fair shake at at you know whatever you can can do. I mean, I've heard of of people you know selling a, a lure design to a major tackle company and and getting three to you know fifteen cents a bait and. Yeah, if they sell you know fifty million you know lures, you might make a, a, a something off of it, but you're not going to get rich off of it. Um, yeah, you need to. It, here's a here's a great example from uh, George Perry in 1932. His his world record, Terry. He uh, with Creek Chub. I don't know if he got money from later advertisements. I'm sure I expect that he did, but initially his uh, his compensation for catching a world record and, and having them use it in some, some of their news efforts and so forth was he got six Creek chub baits and they Ooh. complained about that saying that he was basically robbing them blind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. I have the crazy. correspondence, which we'll, we'll show, we'll show that correspondence off when we do the Perry story, but it, yeah. it applies not just to, to the lures, but also to the, the line, the rods, the reels. Honestly, yeah. generally speaking, you'd probably be doing yourself a favor to catch uh, a world record with the number one manufacturers in each of those categories because they're going to be yeah. able to bankroll uh, a big marketing effort. And they're going to be able to afford to pay the angler uh, a lot of yeah, money but, to get it going. But so, like, so with reels, that's pretty easy. It's Daiwa or it's Shimano. Um or Abu Garcia, or well, you know, there's a lot of companies, or Arc, or Cast King. There's a lot of companies, but as far as the big guys go, as far yeah. as lose, uh, as far as the the bigger companies go, yeah, that's there's uh, there's Pure Fishing, there's Shimano, Daiwa, Lose. Those are those are some of the giants, right? With the bigger, but legends. when it com when it comes to rods, I mean, you've got those same you know that that same group of of tackle companies. But you know what about the, the the smaller companies like Dobbins Rods, uh, Dobbins, you know, uh, ah, Kistler, uh, yeah, some great small Kistler. companies out there. I mean, I would I would not consider them small companies. Cashin. I would, yeah, yeah Cashin. They're they're not small companies, but they're not they're not Abu Garcias. Uh, you know, they're not pure fishing. It, 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 they're not Strike King. You know, blah blah blah, or Fenwick or. What have you? Um, if you're I may only, have probably if you're, just dated myself with Fenwick, but <laughs> which is which is a pure fishing product. Um, but it, yeah, if your primary goal is to cash in, just go for the the bigger manufacturers with the deeper pockets. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about the right place and some of the rules that IGFA and the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame have. But uh, you know, a lot of people probably probably tend to believe that a new world record is going to be caught from private water. Well. Uh, that's great. And by all means, you want to catch that fish if you possibly can. But I believe that a public water catch is going to be worth dramatically more money. Uh, hell yeah, because you can you can go to that public water and, and say, hey, you know, you could work a deal out with them. Um, and not only that, but at that point, now you're a hired gun. You could you could actually guide people because you've got. Ah, yeah. There you, go. you you could guide people. I mean, look at the kid down there that's catching all those fish out of OHIV. He's charging two thousand dollars a day for and a Josh guide. Jones, trip. I think, is who you're talking about. Yeah, guides on that's, OHIV yeah, and yeah. work in places like that. Two grand uh, a day. I mean, holy crap! Guys are having a hell of a time putting people in butts in seats for six hundred bucks a day. So, I think also that the. the public water thing works to your advantage because people are going to see that as more legitimate and uh, people yeah. are going to think that that fish was probably tougher to fool. So that means you had greater angling skills. Perhaps that means the bait you were using, the tackler you were using uh, was up to a higher standard. Another well, thing about, mm -hmm. but, but public usually generally means a big, big body of water, which means that there might be another well, record out there. Whereas a, small private lake may only have that one fish. So yeah, I, there's another I, thing I, that you got to consider. Yeah. Okay. Now a, a big factor, Terry, in, in how much money can be made on a world record bass is who is the person who catches it? Um, and if you, you, the guy who could probably make the most money off, off such a fish is, is our friend, Bill Dance. 
Bill Dance is hugely famous. The most famous angler in the world. It's not close. Bill Dance is the most famous angler in the world. I thought it was Junior Samples. He, he's dead. A, he's dead. <laughs> B, go back to that episode, pointing to the link right here. And, and, and you'll find out that, that I'm right. Terry's wrong, but he just won't admit it. Uh, but, but a famous angler or somebody who's got some fame already has got a massive edge over somebody who's an unknown. And, and my example would be, it's better to be Roland Martin than Marty Roland, whoever Marty Roland might be. Uh, you want to have a ton of integrity. And Terry, you asked earlier about how do you avoid the slings and arrows of being called a liar and a cheat and a horrible human being when you catch this record bass. Well, one of the things I would recommend anybody do after they've caught such a fish is to, is to put yourself on a polygraph and be tested, but, mm-hmm. but control the questions that are being asked. Uh, make sure you ask the right questions. So you're going to get past any sort of application that IGFA or the freshwater fishing hall of fame and museum might have, but don't go into something like, did you ever do anything? Right. Did you ever cheat off somebody's test in high school? Don't go that far. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So I have a little bit of experience with, with polys. Um, you don't control the, the questions that are being asked. Uh, they actually control the, the the body that is, you know, making you take the poly is the one that's going to control that. Well, I'm uh, suggesting that you 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 hire your own polygrapher. You go through a series of questions which will help you maintain the integrity of your catch. Did you have a valid fishing license at the time of your catch? Yes. Uh, were you violating any? Were you knowingly violating any state regulations with regard to your catch? No. And you do that. You do a very boilerplate kind of polygraph that you can present to various organizations and to potential sponsors and advertisers. Totally disagree with that. I, I, Charles Manson could pass a polygraph that was designed like that. Yeah, um, but he doesn't fish that much. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the point. The, you have to have someone else come up with the questions, you know, uh, in order for it to be wait credible. until they, wait until they demand such a thing. Meanwhile, do your own, do your own first. If they demand it's like, it, okay, I'm going to have it. them say, did you get up at five o'clock in the morning? Yes, I did. <laughs> did you go fishing? That's okay. Today? Yes, That's I did. Fine. I, yeah, and no, ask if you control the, questions. Is your name Adolf Hitler? Yes. You ask if you control <laughs> questions just to show the things on the up and up on some level. Yeah, Another but thing I mean, really you, important. You, but but the thing is, is that you could oh I passed the polygraph test, but it had nothing to do with fishing. Okay, no, it has everything to do with fishing. <laughs> everything to do with fishing. You're asking them, did you violate any state rules? Did you have a license? Did the fish legitimately weigh twenty two pounds nine ounces? All of these things are going to be in that polygraph that you set up. All of them. Uh, if you play your cards uh, right, you may not need another polygraph. The only other uh, polygraph you should have to pass would be one that IGFA would establish for you. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, I think, well, I'll, I'll go to that now real quick. When Manabu Kurita caught a, a 22-5 from Lake Biwa in 2009, uh, according to IGFA rules, he tied George Perry's world record. According to everybody else in the world, he beat it by, by yeah. almost exactly an ounce. Um, Kurita, through the JGFA, the Japan Game Fish Association, did a mm-hmm. polygraph exam. Now, I don't know exactly who came up with those questions, but I assure you that IGFA did not. They liked the polygraph. They said he had the tightest and best record application they had ever seen. I loved that he took a polygraph, but that thing was put together by the Japan Game Fish Association. I don't Do know we know what the questions was, were? But it was, I don't know what the questions were. IGFA may know what the questions were, but they were willing to take a lot on on confidence and honor from the Japan Game Fish Association, which obviously had a little bit of a dog in that hunt because they would love to see a record as prestigious as the largemouth bass being caught in in Japanese waters, despite the fact that it is an enemy fish there. Anyway, uh, this was a polygraph that uh, IGFA wanted him to take, but I don't think they necessarily came up with the questions. I'm not sure about that. Let me, uh-huh. let me change gears just slightly uh, and, and go on to the next thing here. And that is that, that a person with good communication skills, uh, somebody who's good in interviews, oh, yeah. somebody who's good at public speaking, 
that person's going to make a lot more money than than somebody who who lacks those skills. Um, Absolutely, image is everything. Yeah, image is everything. And if you present yourself well, you'll make a lot more money, and you're going to be under a a, a microscope in the fishing industry if you catch mm-hmm. such a fish. So you got to be able to market yourself. You got to be able to to put yourself out there. You got to show a high degree of communication skills and integrity. Yeah. And your story can't change at all. It's yeah. got to be the same story year after year, month after month, day after day. It, yeah, it can't deviate at all. So and almost no record straight. bass story, <laughs> almost no record bass story has ever met that standard, Derry. No, that's absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, and, and and sometimes that may not actually be the fault of the angler. It may have been other people changing the story. And that kind of ties back into the control your story uh, aspect right. that we were talking about earlier. And, hey, let's get into uh, – sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it's the whole telephone game, right? I mean, you know, so-and-so starts a rumor, and that rumor all of a sudden becomes gospel, even if the person didn't say something. It 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 happens – everywhere it's not just in bass fishing i mean it's every factor of life that rumors are going to be started and you're going to have to figure out a way to to control them and that's why like like ken said at the beginning you know you've got to be able to control your story you know make sure you've got the got it on you you've recorded it uh you know it's dated uh you've got witnesses the whole nine yards so do it the right way do it the right way. Stay consistent. Let's talk a little bit now about, you know, early on in the show, we talked about the fact that neither of us believes the world record is worth as much today in 2023 as it was yeah. decades ago. And one of the big reasons for that, I think, Terry, is the lack of, of meaningful bounties on the fish. Uh, Golly, I, you know, I don't know if, if that is the deal or if we've already seen a, a, a 25 caught, uh, and it kind of, you know, burst everybody's sails or that Karita did catch the, what we consider the world record. Uh, I don't know, but I don't, I don't see the enthusiasm in, in things that have been written in, on the web or in any of the bass magazines lately. Nobody's talking about the world record or very few people are talking about it anymore. And why is that? I don't know. I I think it's because nobody's knocked on the door in a long time. uh, And that, that could very well be right. I mean, it, you had the, I mean, the, the California run all the way up until the whole quagga muscle deal, you know, happened. Uh, I mean, it was Casitas, Castaic and San Diego. And then you had the Northern Cal, you know, groups that were, I mean, every year, in the, even up through the, the, the 2000s, the 2000 to 2010, people were talking about the world record every single year. Uh, and, and since that whole quagga muscle thing took over California uh, and they quit ta- stocking trout and they shut down one of the best lakes in the world, uh, stripers got into the other one of the best lakes in the world. Uh, it, it it's like it's completely died, you know. And but you know, t- states like Texas, nobody's states come like within, Texas. Nobody. Go ahead. I was saying nobody's come within two pounds of the world record in the last well since Corita, and nobody's come within two pounds no. of the world record in the U.S. since uh, since Dottie in two thousand six. I think that calms things down a lot. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time Caritas was the last twenty pounder that was caught? Prior to that, it was Dottie. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody's hell has an eighteen been caught in the last ten years? I don't think well, so. Plenty of them have been claimed, um, but in the last twenty years, you know, it's 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 been a while. Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Jed Dickerson's twenty one eleven was almost exactly 20 years ago. Um, I I think, uh, yeah, but, but before that, no, no certified twenties since that. And it's going up on the 20th anniversary in in, uh, May. Yeah. And 
So I know there's, you know, people out in California that, that are chasing world record fish. And part of the problem is, is that they're not talking at all because they don't want the bite to get ruined. There's high, high, high chance, high probability that fish in the 18, 19, 20 pound class have been caught in the last 10 years. But because they were 18, 19, 20 pound fish, they're not being reported because most likely they're coming out of a small reservoir uh, and they don't want that lake ruined. Um, Some places still getting I, trout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I know a couple of, of folks out in, out in the West that are chasing those fish and they flat, they won't even tell me what they're doing. Um, but at the same time, they, they're whispering under their breath that, yeah, you should have seen the fish that I caught last year. Uh, and they wouldn't say that if it wasn't approaching 20 pounds. So <laughs> there's a lot of sh stuff going on in the wings that we don't know about. And it's all because of people not wanting to have their, their life ruined. Well, I, I will believe that California is going to break the world record when California breaks the world record and not, not a moment before that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Uh, we're all waiting. You know, I don't think it's ever going to be Florida. I mean, hell. They... Florida any day now. <laughs> any day. I haven't gotten out in the water lately, but as soon as I do, it's going to fall. Let's talk bounties for a minute because bounties to me are one of the most interesting things about the world record chase. Um, you know, one of the first bounties that I, I found was from Creek Chub, uh, the company that made the baits that caught the Fritz Friebel fish. Uh, which set the world record in 1923, uh, allegedly uh, the bait that, that George Perry used to catch the world record from 1932. So in the 70s and 60s, Creek Chub had a $1,000 bounty, Terry, $1,000. Yeah. Um, and, and so they, they were playing the game. Then Bass comes along in the 70s, and you know, Ray Scott gets it rolling, and Bass starts offering a $100,000 uh, bounty on the world record if it's caught by a member. Uh, and that they kept that going into the 90s, although they didn't always publicize it much. Of course, Ray Scott was using that to generate memberships. Yep. Um, Trilene came out with a, a world record line. Uh, it was part of their XL, XT series. And in the 80s and 90s, they, they had a $1,000 bounty if you caught it on their line. Uh, then it got big. In the late 80s, it got big. Uh, bass and magazine came up with their big bass world championship in 1989 yep. and they offered a million dollars to anybody who joined that club and caught yep. a world record a million bucks yep. suddenly yep. the world record was legitimately worth one million dollars yeah it's interesting you say that because even in the 70s and the early 80s when all that you know world record fish is worth a million bucks uh I was doing, you know, the calculation. It's like, hell, on paper, you know, with all the bounties that are being offered and all this stuff, it's only worth about fifty-three thousand dollars. I mean, it, it was, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It was like, it's like, where the hell is this million dollars coming from? I mean, it I, it doesn't add up. But like you said, Bass and Magazine starts the Big Bass World Championship deal, and holy crap! And the Lloyd's of London was the they were the ones that were insuring it, um, but they still were paying out what was it, twenty five grand every year for the biggest bass caught that year. And you and I know a couple of people that cashed in on that multiple years in a row, and, right? and some people who shouldn't have. Yeah, including some mm -hmm. people who should not have been cashing in. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was some real money to be had then. Yep. Um, uh, Iowa got into the world record game in the late nineties. They, they reintroduced their millionaire casting reel and they offered a million dollars to anybody who caught a world record, largemouth on a millionaire reel. I like that tie in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Berkeley stepped up their game in the uh, mid nineties uh, with the power worm. They put a $500,000 bounty on the world record, largemouth, And then Terry, then we get to the big time. 
In, <laughs> in the late 1990s, an organization known as the Big Bass Record Club, they, uh, <laughs> they put a $5 million bounty on the world uh-huh. record. And this was a very interesting time to do it because people were still knocking on the door uh, of yep. Perry's record at that point. Um, yep. Of course, membership was required, required membership costs like 20 bucks a year. Uh, yep. They later raised the bounty to $8 million. And wow. uh, believe it or not, I was actually on the board of governors of that organization, which had been started by uh, uh, a guy named, a, a guy named Mickey Owens, who's a, a car dealer in the Tampa area who was into bass fishing. Doug Hannon was part of that group. And they also had that insurance policy through Lloyd's of London. Um, yep. You know, I've got, I've got this cap. I've got one in red, but I thought this matched my shirt better for the evening. Um, yeah, you're I've always worried got, about your, 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 your clothing. A, and I'm a fashion plate here, Terry. And a fashionista. You, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in this morass of bass junk uh, that I call my office, I have a recording of their jingle, their little song about the uh, the eight million dollar bass. I'm going to try to find it. Anyway, unfortunately, the Big Bass Record Club uh, folded in the mid 2000s. Their problem was they could not sell enough annual memberships to uh, continue to pay for that insurance policy. Um, mm-hmm. They were offering prizes, not just for the world record, but also for state records and things like that. Um, yeah. More recently, TTI Blakemore has had a, a bounty on the, the world record. Uh, Hale Lures and Stanley Jiggs had a $100,000 bounty on the world record. But if you're looking at the, the peak time to have caught a world record largemouth bass, it would have been in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, uh, and then only if you remember the Big Bass Record Club. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're potentially I mean, going to cash uh, in on big, big bucks. Yeah. And if you weren't a member, I mean, you might have get, you, you might have cracked a hundred grand, you know, it, it's unfortunate, you know, yeah. but uh, most, most people that, that, that bass fish, or I would say a big percentage, they just, they're going to come to the ramp and they're going to be so happy that they've caught this fish and they're going to spill their guts and, and, you know, every word that comes out of their mouth and every step they take is going to take them further and further away from actually monetizing, you know, that fish. You know, I you know, I, a, I would be uh, right there with them. <laughs> a very interesting little book was published in 1963. It was a, a fictional piece by an outdoor writer named Don Latta. He called it the $500,000 bass. It's a, it's a fantasy story of him catching the world record and it being worth a half a million dollars back in 1963. So naturally that extrapolated wow. into a much bigger number. One thing about these bounties that, that I think is worth mentioning, and, and it's going to be true if there are bounties in the future like this, is you, know, you need to see what you're giving up when you, uh, when you try to cash in on that bounty. Because usually you've got to give up the physical fish dead or alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually you've got to agree to a certain amount of, um, of appearances and things like that. You're selling your story uh, in a way that you can never sell it again. Uh, so you're giving up a lot, whatever you're cashing in on with that bounty, quite often uh, they're going to try to control you to a degree so you can make no other money on it. So they can completely control that story. <clears throat> yeah. It- you 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 may uh, be able to uh, control it a little bit, but every everybody's going to want a piece of you, and when they want that piece, they're going to want it now, and they're going to want control over it the whole nine yards. All of a sudden, something that you should have control over has now been relinquished to to somebody else, and you you need to figure out a way to keep that from happening. Uh, let's wrap this one up, Terry. I'm going to give you my takeaway, and uh, then I certainly want to hear yours. Um, I'm going to say that the world record largemouth bass is is, is worth a million bucks to the right guy under the right circumstances, um, but it's not necessarily worth a million bucks. Uh, and as a cautionary tale, I want to point to the last guy who who had a piece of, of a world record. Oh. That's Manabu Karita. 
the yeah. Japanese angler who caught a, a 22-5 from Lake Biwa in 2009. Yeah, he did everything. I mean, through no fault of his own, he did everything wrong. He did yeah. everything wrong. He, he caught the fish in Japan. The fish is worth a lot more if you catch it in the U.S. Karita did not speak English. Makes him a, a, an incredibly tough interview and a challenging guy to talk with and communicate with. He did not mm-hmm. use a lure. He caught the fish on a, a live sunfish. Yep. Uh, you can't manufacture a live sunfish and sell millions of them. Uh, he used Japanese tackle that was not available in the U.S. His reel wasn't available in the U.S. His rod was not available in the U.S. His hook was not yep. available in the U.S. I don't know about his line, but uh, most of the stuff he had was not available in the U.S., so you can't go out there and sell a lot of it. Uh, yeah. His story was delayed. He didn't get the story out there immediately. I actually broke that story, Terry, in the U.S. Uh, on Bassmaster.com back yep. that day in 2009. But yeah. getting the story out to a mass audience took a long time. Uh, there were no be- meaningful bounties out there for him to cash in on. There was an e- economic recession going on at the time. Um, the marketplace is so much smarter. You know, we know now there are no magic lures. We know that there's no magic rod and reel, no magic line. Uh, I, I think it was a very different audience 30 years ago. Um, it was also what, what we can call post dotty. In 2006, we saw that, that Lake Dixon fish weigh 25 pounds, one ounce. Yep. So it made a, it made a 22 pound fish a lot less impressive. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that was a killer was um, Karita did not break the record. He tied the record and, and that there's a big, big difference. Uh, so in the end, yep. I think Karita got some, some notoriety. Uh, perhaps he got more notoriety in Japan than he got here, but Hey, in Japan, the bass is a, a an enemy fish. You have to, uh, kill them. You can't even release them because the Japanese authorities don't want them. Uh, yeah. I know that in the U S he got a, he got a Skeeter FX 21 bass boat and a Yamaha V max show outboard, but I don't think he got a lot else. Uh, he sold a yeah. few replicas of the fish, but by no means did he get rich by no means did he get a million bucks. No. Yeah, you know, and you know, Skeeter is owned by Yamaha, which is a Japanese company. So, you know, I mean, yeah, he didn't he didn't make anything off that fish. I mean, if he got a hundred thousand dollars out of it, I'd be surprised. Um, you know, and that doesn't include the the cost of the boat, right? And and, and all that. I mean, yeah, maybe he might have gotten some money from you know the rod company, the real company. Uh, you know, just because he caught it on it, the line company, maybe a hook company, because you got to pin a hook through a sunfish. Um, maybe he got some speaking engagements at, you know, some of the, the shows and, and things like that. But yeah, he could have, if that fish was caught in the United States, it would have been a completely different story. Um, but, you know, where where is the next world record going to come from, Ken? Uh I, I, I honestly, at, at this point in time, I, I don't know. I mean, Biwa is still out there. Uh, and as much as the Japanese want to get rid of the largemouth, they're not going to be able to do it unless they wrote, wrote known the, the they entire country. They'd have to kill, everything. Have to kill, kill everything, everything in the water. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's, you know, it, it's kind of like us fighting the snakehead. Well, you know, for the first 10 years that the snakehead was in the Potomac, we tried to get rid of the damn thing, and now people are finding out that, hey, they eat good, and, wow, they'll eat a frog like a mother. You know, they're fun to catch. Uh, and, you know, the, the bass fishing's still good in the Potomac. and and uh, But, yeah, so where is it going to come from? Um, I still, and it has nothing to do with the fact that that's where I was born and raised. I still think it has an opportunity to come out of, of California. Uh, and, and the reason is, is because the people that I still have contact with down there that are fishing those fish, and they're really flipping quiet about it. It is so quiet. It's nothing like it was in the late 90s through the, the you know, 2005, 2006 timeframe prior to the zebra slash quagga muscle deal. Um 
I mean, back then it was it was kind of quiet, but you know, you still had people catching 18s, 19s, and 20s, and they're going to want a little bit of notoriety about that, and so they would still weigh them in uh, from time to time. Now there's no nothing, nothing coming out of California. And I think that has to do with the fact that there are a select few people uh, that are on some fish, on some certain bodies of water, of which I have no clue of what they are. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's the, the, the calm before the storm, I think, is, is what's going to happen. That would be so, interesting. Hey, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, is it time? Yeah, I think we've pretty much slammed the door on this one. Let's do it then. It's time to slam the door on this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. But before we go, please remember to subscribe. It's how you can support the show and help us grow our audience. Uh, you know, nobody else is doing this kind of deep dive into bass fishing history and Big Bass like you get on the Big Bass Podcast. So please give us a like, a share, a comment, or a view. Uh, we think it's a small ask, but we assure you it is a big help. And don't forget to check out our website. At thebigbasspodcast.com, you'll find our Big Bass Podcast calculator and our listings of state record bass, plus supplementary material on each episode. Uh, the site's a work in progress, but if you like the show, you will love thebigbasspodcast.com. And if you want to contact us, our email addresses are floating across the bottom of the screen right now. They are Ken at thebigbasspodcast.com, Terry at thebigbasspodcast.com, and Nathan at thebigbasspodcast.com. I'm Ken Duke, and on behalf of my partners, Terry Battisti and Nathan Benson, thank you very much for joining us. Be sure to check back next week. We'll have a new show about a different big bass with a story that you will not and cannot find anywhere else. And remember, size matters. <laughs>